0: Amen. How many of you like to hear preachers preach like they mean it, yes? Well, I like to hear singers sing like they mean it. And uh, I was so blessed by that, all this music about Jesus. Happy Resurrection Monday, it is. Every day is a resurrection day for the child of God. And uh, I I don't know about you, we had a great Lord's Day where we were. But I am so grateful to God that on a Monday, Christ still lives and he lives in me. And I'm especially happy that I get to be back with your church. Uh, your pastor and I have been friends for a long time. And I thank God for he and his family and their spirit, their encouragers. And uh, I, I'm just rejoicing in what God's doing in your church. And hearing about all this today and seeing so many things has stirred my heart. And I praise God for it. The last three days I've been preaching in Indiana and Ohio. Yankees need Jesus too. Did you know that? But I'm really glad to be back in the great state of Tennessee. I hail from the mountains of West Virginia. That's where I was born and raised. And uh, there's a fellow mountaineer somewhere. God bless you, man. No wonder there's a great spirit in this church. Did they make you stay up in that little booth by yourself? It's bad. Really, I'll come up and visit you after the meeting, all right? Uh, But I, I grew up in West Virginia, and then we lived here in Tennessee, in Knoxville, for 23 years. And so coming through there today, so many memories. And such a beautiful part of the world, and I just thank God for what the Lord's doing in beautiful Jamestown, Tennessee. Well, I want you to open the Word of God with me, if you will, tonight to the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of your Bible. And when you find the book of Revelation, I want you to find Revelation chapter 20. And I'm going to do something tonight that I have not done before. I'm going to preach through Revelation 20 on the two days after Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> And uh, when you come to Revelation 20, I think you'll understand why. Because Revelation 20 describes the final two resurrections. Uh, There are lots of resurrections in the Bible. A lot of them. Now the most famous, of course, and the greatest, and the one that makes all the rest of them possible, is the one we celebrated yesterday, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is not here. He is risen as he said. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were with a group in, uh, in Israel leading a Bible study group. And we were in uh, Jerusalem and in the garden tomb. And you've been there. And I tell you, it just uh, this, this Resurrection Sunday, I could see it. I could see it in my mind. It wasn't just black and white. It was in living color. I could see it and envision what that day was like. I'm glad we serve a risen Savior. But when you study the Word of God, the whole Bible is filled with the resurrections. For example, you have the widow of Zarephath's son resurrected. Uh, you have the widow of Nain's son resurrected. You have uh, the woman uh, Shunam, the Shunemite's son, raised from the dead. Do you remember the fellow that they were going to bury and they didn't realize they were putting him in a grave where the bones of Elisha were? And when they let him down into that grave, when his body touched the bones of Elisha, there was still so much of the power of God in Elisha's bones, that old dead man got up. Can you imagine that? That actually happened. That's in the Bible. Uh, When you come to the New Testament, you have our Lord Jesus... Of course, raising the widow's son, raising Lazarus from the dead, standing in that cemetery, saying, Lazarus, come forth. One old preacher said if he hadn't called him by name, every dead man in that cemetery would have come out of the grave. I think that's right. And then, did you ever notice in the Gospel according to Matthew that when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. There was a great earthquake. By the way, all that is significant, nothing by accident. The veil rent in twain, God provided access The Heavenly Father reached over the balcony of heaven and said, we don't need this anymore. And the veil was removed because Christ made a way into the holiest of all. And then the earthquake, somebody said, what was that earthquake? I'm going to tell you what I believe. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if these hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. I really believe on the day our Lord died that all of creation shouted because they recognized, nobody else knew who he was, but all of creation recognized this was the Son of God. And then something else happened. The Bible says a bunch of the saints arose. Did you ever notice that? How well, I missed that all these years. But a bunch of dead people were raised from the dead, came walking back into Jerusalem, and talking to people. Can you imagine being in the old city of Jerusalem that day when Jesus died, and here comes Grandma coming around the lane? I mean, seriously, and talking about where they've been and who they've seen, and I'm telling you, the resurrection power of God is powerful. Then when you get to the revelation of Jesus Christ, you've got the two witnesses in the tribulation age. They'll be slain, and the Lord will raise them back from the dead. Can I just point something out to you that all of them have in common? There is no resurrection without the God of life. Only God can give a resurrection. Only God gives life, only God gives eternal life, and only God gives abundant life. There is no resurrection apart from the power of the God of life. So there's lots of resurrections. But when you come to Revelation chapter 20, you come to the last two. And they're identified a certain way. Let's begin with one verse. Look at Revelation 20 and verse number 6. What a verse this is. Revelation 20 verse 6 says, Blessed... And holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Don't you love to find yourself in the Bible? How many saved people are here tonight? Would you raise your hand? Are you glad you're saved? You're in that verse. You're in that verse. Because the Bible says, look at the verse carefully, blessed and holy. Could I just remind you that there's only one who is truly blessed and holy, and that is the Lord. So if anybody else is blessed and holy, it's because of the Lord. So every blessing in my life, every blessing in your life, every blessing in eternity is because of the blessed Son of God. And every holy thing in us sure must be Jesus, because I promise you it's not us. Blessed, look at it, and holy is he that hath part. In the first resurrection. Everybody take your pen out. Would you get a pen out? You're going to have to mark some things in your Bible tonight and tomorrow night. I want you to mark in verse 6 the first resurrection. Somebody say, wait a minute. How thought we've had all kinds of resurrections? And Jesus has risen from the dead. There's a reason why it's called the first resurrection. Because, I love this, it is not at the end of something. It is the beginning of something. You see, the first resurrection is that which leads us into our eternal state with God. And what will that state be? A state of no more dying. Anybody else looking forward to that? So remember, he's the Alpha and the Omega beginning and the end, the what? The first and the last. God is the God of new beginnings. And so the first resurrection is, and we'll talk more about it tomorrow evening, that resurrection that we get to be a part of. It actually comes in phases. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it starts at the rapture of the church. So when the trumpet sounds and the Lord Jesus Christ steps out on a cloud, and the dead in Christ shall what? Rise first. That's the beginning of the first resurrection. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon, I was reading a while back. Charles Spurgeon said that if he had to choose between between dying uh, and being resurrected, And being alive at the rapture, he would choose dying. He's the first person I've ever heard say that. Let's take a survey. How many of you would rather go in the rapture? Would you raise your hand, please? Yeah, me too. All right. But Spurgeon said he would rather go by way of death because he wanted to feel what resurrection power felt like coursing through his body. Now, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe we're all going to feel resurrection power. But I understand what he means because the dead in Christ rise first, so they're on the first bus out of here, all right? That's the beginning of the first resurrection. Then at the end of the tribulation period, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, there's phase two of the first resurrection. All the tribulation saints that have been martyred and all the Old Testament saints get raised. So we've got a big reunion coming. Did you know there's a big reunion being planned at the Father's house? And so we have the church raised first... Then you have the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints. And then, where we are now, Revelation chapter 20, you have the the final, full resurrection of all of God's people. Because during that millennial reign, during that thousand-year period, there will be people dying and and uh, being buried and that kind of thing. And folks will be raised from the dead at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. So all of these people together, combined, are a part, look at our verse again, verse 6, of the blessed and the holy people who have part in the first resurrection. Anybody else glad you're a part of that? By the way, you don't get to be a part of him then if you're not part of him now. Pardon me. Everybody wants to talk about heaven. Nobody wants to talk about Jesus. I want you to know something. There is no heaven without him and there is no hope without a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a church on earth that can save your soul. There's not a preacher on earth that can do for you what only the Son of God can do. And so he makes us part of the first resurrection. And then the Bible says this, on such the second death. Would you mark that in your Bible? You have the first resurrection, and then please notice the wording carefully, the second what? I didn't hear you. The second what? Now This actually is a resurrection too. And we'll show you that in just a moment. This is when all the lost people of all the ages are raised. And they come before what is known as the great white throne to be judged by God. Let me just tell you right now. I'm coming back to this passage tomorrow night. If I had to pick one or two messages, I'd much rather preach tomorrow night. So don't miss tomorrow night, all right? I say that because, frankly, I this is not a subject I enjoy talking about. But I know this is what the Holy Spirit prompted me to preach this week. And so I'm just trying to do what the Lord told me to do. I don't like to think about hell and death and... Eternally separated from God and the great white throne and and let's just all get real. We want to come to church and get a warm fuzzy feeling and everybody says that was nice. We really had a good time. Well, when I get done tonight, you're probably not going to feel that way. But I want you to know that what I'm about to read to you and show you from the Bible is just as real as heaven is. And it is the most awful thing you could ever imagine. You marked in your Bible the first resurrection. Resurrection, what a word that is. It's full of life and hope and expectancy and future. Isn't that right? Look how the Lord titles the second one. On such the second, he changes the word. How many of you believe every word of Scripture is given by inspiration of God? you all believe that? So nothing's there by filler, nothing there by accident. The Holy Ghost chooses his words carefully because every word of the word actually means something. So look at this. The first raising is called a resurrection, but the second raising is not called a resurrection. It is called a what? A And Why is that? Because there's no hope in it. Before I stood up to come up here, The Lord brought a man's face to my mind. I can see him right now. He lives on my road, a little country lane there in the hills. I saw him again the other day. I've been praying for him. He's lost. He's a lost man. He's a good man. He's kind, always kind to me. Moral, upright. His wife's a believer. He's not. He knows it. I'm thinking about that man right now as I'm talking to you because I'm thinking if if that man doesn't come to know Jesus, he has no part in the first resurrection. And if he has no part in the first resurrection, then he has a part in the second death. Do you know who has part in the second death? People who have not known the second birth. Somebody said, well, how do you know somebody's going to be in that second death? It's real simple. If they'd never had the second birth, if they have never been born again, then that means they do not have the life of God in them now and if they do not have the life of God in them now then they have no hope of life with God for all eternity this is fascinating to me but I'm looking around this room at a variety of people I mean we've got every stage and age and and season of life in this room and we've got men and women and we've got uh, maybe people that are well to do and people that are on the other end of the spectrum and we've got maybe educated and uneducated but I want you to know in the end there really are only two groups of people in this world there are those that know God and there are those that do not know God. There are those that have life, and there are those that are under the condemnation of sin. By the way, they're not going to be lost. They are lost now. And by the time you get to Revelation 20, it is sealed forever. Hold your place here just a second. Everybody put your right hand right here, Revelation 20. Coming right back. Go back with me to the beginning of your New Testament to the Gospel according to John for just a moment. Because really what we're reading in Revelation 20 at the end of the New Testament is what Jesus talked about at the beginning of the New Testament. Look at John chapter number 5 with me for a moment. Now you know John 3, John 3, 16, and you know the great conversion of the woman in John 4, but come to John 5 and listen to Jesus speak. Look what he says, John chapter 5 and verse number 28. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Stop and look at me just a minute. There is no voice like the voice of the Son of God. You want to talk about a wake-up call, listen to me. There will not be a person that can avoid the voice of the Son of God someday. Keep reading. Look at verse 29. And she'll come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of what? You know that sounds a lot like to me? The first resurrection. Keep reading. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of what? The last word of my Bible, John chapter 5 and verse number 29, is the word damnation. That is a strong word. By the way, for the record, I hear people use uh, this this word or some form of it as a curse word or slang word or, or a word to slur someone. I want you to know, if people knew, look, first of all, if they knew what the name Jesus meant, they would never take the name of Jesus in vain again. Never. And did you know saved people sometimes use Jesus' name in vain? That's right. You use his name in vain every time his name is on your lips and not in your heart used in an empty way god in heaven help us but you'd never use any form of the word damnation again if you could just get a glimpse of what that damnation looks like this is a sobering thing to me do you want to understand what revelation is we're in the book of revelation it's god pulling the curtain back and giving a glimpse and I've got to be honest with you when he pulls the curtain back and shows me the celestial city and heaven and all the joys I say praise God I really like that keep the curtain closed on the rest of it but I'm going to tell you what would really change our lives forever is if the Holy Ghost of God through the pages of Holy Scripture would just pull back the curtain a little bit and reveal to us something about what awaits every lost person you would never live the same on earth again if you could see hell in a moment of time. So when you come to Revelation chapter number 20, you're coming to the great divide, the great distinction between the resurrection of life and the resurrection of condemnation or, or of damnation. I was on a flight today and a businessman sitting next to me and I was actually preparing for tonight and for tomorrow night. And I took my Bible out and some things to work with, and started working, and he observed it. Did did you know that when people find out they're sitting next to a preacher at 30,000 feet, it's really interesting? They're either really glad they're sitting next to you or really wish they weren't, one of the two. This man happened to be a believer. He said to me, he looked at what book I was in, he said to me, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He started asking me questions about the end of the world. The end of the age and where we're living. There's a lot of talk right now. Anybody notice there's a lot of talk? Even Hollywood's getting in on it. There's so much speculation. Listen to me. We don't need speculation. We need revelation. We don't need what men have to say. We need what God has to say. Look, you should look at the end of time not through the lens of the news network. You should look at the end of time through the lens of Holy Scripture. If ever there was a day, we ought to be giving attention to the Word of God and then applying that to our lives where we are living like people who are getting ready to meet God, living like people who are just passing through and entering into eternity. This is the hour we are living in at this moment. So I take you back to Revelation chapter 20. Let's walk through the second half of this chapter, starting here at the end of verse number 6. Let me show you some things about this second death. Notice, first of all, in verse number 7, the Bible says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, to the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. I've heard a lot of talk recently about Gog and Magog. Everybody's talking about Gog and Magog. And just this week, just this week I was in a meeting, and a guy walked up to me, and he said, Have you heard that the river Euphrates has dried up? It's in the news right now. And I said, Yes, I've heard of that. And prophetically, that there's significance to that because the great armies of the east are going to come through that that valley, that river, and somebody said that could never happen until this happened. Now, there's a lot of things like that. God's putting all the pieces in places, but please don't miss this. Some people get so consumed. with trying to figure out who Gog and Magog is. They miss who God is emphasizing here, and that is Satan, what the devil is up to. Write this down in the margin of your Bible. Number one, the first thing you see in the second death is that there is a final deception. One final deception. We're living in a world of lies. That's what we're living in right now. Honestly, aren't you sick of it? You don't even know who you can trust anymore. You listen to news reports and commentators and prognosticators, and you think, is that person really telling me the truth? Is that factual? Is that just somebody's thought? We're living in a world of lies. Do you know why we're living in a world of lies? Because sin at its very core is a lie. It's a rejection of truth, and when you reject the truth, you believe lies. When you say no to light, you get darkness. That's why sin, this is bad English, is getting stupider and stupider all the time. I mean, honestly, anybody else notice the insanity around us right now and wonder, why are we having so much ignorance? I'm going to tell you why that is. Because Satan is a liar and the father of it. He started lying from the very beginning. He's been lying ever since. He hasn't changed his strategy and tactics. And he's going to lie all the way to the very end. And here's what God says. God says, I'm going to let him have a little leash, just a little leash. How many of you are glad the devil's throwing a leash? Yes. He's going to have a little leash, and he's going to go out, and he's going to deceive the nations one more time. Don't miss this, please. We're, we're living right now in the church age. In Revelation 2 and 3, the guy today asked me, he said, Where in Revelation are we? Show me where we are. And I opened my Bible up. He he looked over, and I said, we're right here. We're in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. That's the church age. Revelation 4, verse number 1, there's a great voice in heaven. A door opens in heaven and says, come up hither. And suddenly the church disappears. And Revelation 4, all the way through Revelation 19, you do not see the church of the living God. Would you like to know why the church is not in Revelation 4 through 19? Because we're not on this earth. Now, look, there are good people that disagree with this. There there, there are Bible students and Bible teachers that hold a different view than this, and that's fine. If you want to stay, stay if you want to. But according to Revelation 4 through 19, we're not going to be here when the Antichrist has his way and the judgments are unleashed on this earth. Literally, all of hell's power is going to be poured out on this earth. You think it's bad now, friend. You haven't seen anything yet. In fact, you can read and study Revelation 4 to 19, all the judgments that are going to be poured out on this earth when we are gone. We're in heaven. We're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're at a seven-year honeymoon. That's going to be a good seven years. Did you know that? By the way, one moment in the presence of God is amazing. Can you imagine what seven years will be like? And there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we are. And while that is happening here on this earth, the judgment of God is being poured out. There's the seal judgments, and then there's the trumpet judgments, and then there's the bowl judgments. I used to read that as a kid and think, man, alive, what does all this mean? And I got to study, and it's really pretty simple. The seal judgments, man gets his way. Go ahead. You want to have your way? God says, fine. The worst thing God could ever do to us is let us have what we want instead of what we need. And in the seal judgments, God says, fine. Just rip it off, open it up. You can have what you want, and God lets man do his worst on this planet. In the trumpet judgments, Satan does his worst. The devil has his day. And all the hounds of hell are unleashed on this planet. I'm glad I'm not going to be here. And I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I possibly can. I don't want anybody to have to suffer the tribulation this world is going to endure. In the final bold judgment, you know what that is? That's God having his way. See, look, man has his day and the devil has his day, but God always has his day in the end and the bold judgments of the wrath of Almighty God being poured out on this planet. And I shudder to think what this world will be like when the salt and the light of the church is removed, when the Holy Ghost, the restrainer, is taken away, and the dam breaks and the flood tide of iniquity comes. Listen to me. All of sin and hell's power is going to hold sway over this planet. And then, at the end of the tribulation age, Jesus shows up. Come back tomorrow night for the rest of the story. We're coming back with him. It's pretty amazing, really. When he shows up, he's taken over. He's going to set up his throne and rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. Now, time out right there. You know where we are now, right? That's where we're picking up right here. He has just reigned for a thousand years. How many of you think the Lord's reign on this earth is going to be a pleasant time? No, no, seriously. How many of you think if Jesus was in charge of all this mess, it wouldn't be a mess? And this is what is staggering to me. To think that after a thousand years of peace. Satan's been shut up for a thousand years. A thousand years he's been in prison. Read it for yourself in Revelation. And at the end of the thousand years God says, alright, open his door. And Satan is loosed for a little season. How many of you think it seems insane to think anybody would believe him? You know what that reveals? How truly wicked the heart of man is. And how bent we are towards believing his lies instead of God's truth. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Look what the Bible says. In verse number 7 and 8, you have the final deception. Look at verse 9. You have the final rebellion. And they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It's not even going to be a battle. Somebody said, that's going to be some kind of battle. You really think it's going to be a fight for God? Our God is a consuming fire in a moment of time. God's going to speak the word and the fire's going to fall, and all of them are going to be consumed in a moment of time. Please don't miss this. This rebellion is after the battle of Armageddon. I stood on Megiddo when we were there in Israel. I stood on that on that that plain looking out over that valley and envisioning what's going to be like that horrible army coming and and the bloodshed in that valley. The war to end all world wars, the the final world conflict. Wouldn't you think the world would learn its lesson? Wouldn't you think after they see the Messiah, wouldn't you think after they enjoy his reign, they would say, "We want the Lord." But instead, you know what they do? They reject the Messiah a second time. You know what I see in this verse? I see the love of God and the hardness of men. The love of God and that even then God doesn't make anybody. What a God we serve. God could make man do whatever he wanted him to do, but he didn't make us robots he gave us a will to choose. And God, who loves the city, the beloved city, loves the people, and yet they sin against that love, and they, they rebel against the loving heart of Almighty God. What a rebellion it will be. We read in the gospel records and we see them crying, Crucify him! Away with him! Give us Barabbas! And we shake our heads and we say, We would never have done that. Well, I want you to know, at the end of the age, the world's going to do it again. They're going to rebel against their Messiah. Keep reading. Verse 10. Here's the final retribution. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night ever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Oh, that, that, that's staggering to me. No place for them. No place for them. No, no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. You know what this is? This is the final judgment, the final retribution. It begins with the judgment of Satan. And i got to be honest with you, every time I read that verse, I think, good, I'm glad. He deserves it. And then I get to the next verse. And see that on the heels of Satan's judgment is the judgment of every sinner that doesn't know Jesus. When was the last time you wept over a soul? I mean really wept over a soul. When was the last time we fasted and prayed? For those we say we love. Pray tell me. We gather in beautiful buildings and sit on comfortable seats and sing our hymns. And all around us, people perish. They're perishing. You understand they're perishing. What if you knew at midnight tonight, at midnight tonight, it would all be over? And you had the next four hours to get the gospel out and get people to Jesus, what would you do? Someone said, yeah, preacher, but it's not going to happen at midnight tonight. No, you're right. It could happen sooner than that. It could happen before I finish preaching tonight. Do you understand someday we'll have our last meeting here, right? Like someday, I don't know where I'll be. I'll preach my final sermon. It'll be over. We'll live our last day. And look, I'm looking forward to going and being with Jesus. I'm looking forward to the return of Christ. And we'll come back to that tomorrow night. But please don't miss this. At that moment, the window has closed on all of our labors and every opportunity we will have to get people to Jesus Christ. Nobody likes his preaching. Preachers don't like his preaching. I want to laugh and cut up and talk about good things, but dear Lord, help us stamp eternity on our souls again. What's happened to us, church? We've become so comfortable in our American Christianity, so intoxicated with our own prosperity, so consumed with our own enjoyment and entertainment that we have forgotten there is a hell to shun and there are souls that need to be saved. What have you done in the last week for the gospel's sake? What did I do today for the gospel's sake? You say, well, you're here preaching tonight. Forget that. Forget what we do in the public assembly. What did I do this day for the gospel's sake? Did I give a tract? Did I speak a testimony? Did I give a word for the Lord? Did I pray for some sinner that needs Jesus? What have we done today to keep people from a Christless eternity? By and by, when I look on his face, I will wish I had given him more. We kneel at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus Christ. What shall we say? What will he say? See, we're not going to be at this judgment. No, we got our own. That's the judgment seat of Christ. But this is the great white throne judgment. You know what this is Revelation 20? This is the Supreme Court. You just think that imposing building in, in D.C. is the Supreme That's not the Supreme Court. I'm talking about the Supreme Court of heaven, the Supreme Court of the universe. On that day, there'll be a summons that cannot be avoided. Look, no man, no man will avoid it. Look what the Bible says. Look at Revelation 20 and verse number 12. The Bible says, small and great. That means everybody. There's a summons that cannot be avoided. There is on that day a question that cannot be answered. How do you plead? You can't say innocent because you know better and you know he knows better and the all-seeing eyes of God are looking at you. And you tremble to say guilty, but you know that's what you are. There's a question that cannot be answered. There's a prosecution that cannot be argued. There's a defense that cannot be allowed. There's evidence that cannot be altered. Do you understand that in the supreme court of the holy God of the universe, the books will be opened? God keeps really good records too, by the way. Matter of fact, look at the verse. Verse. Verse number 12 says, the books, sit plural, are open, and another book was open. God has lots of books. I'm preaching from one of God's books tonight, the book of the Word of God. And I think the book of the law will be there on that day. This is the book of their works. And then the other book is the book of life. That's where the names of all those who know Christ is written. May I just ask you, is your name written down tonight in the Lamb's book of life in heaven? Are you certain? This is no day to to have a question mark about your soul's eternal destiny. Friend, this is a day to make your calling and election sure. Drive a stake a mile deep in the ground about your soul's salvation. We're living on the edge of eternity. Any moment we're going to see Jesus. This is not the time to worry about the future or wonder about your soul. This is the time to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Because on that day the books will be opened. I noticed this. Would you mark this in your Bible? At the end of verse number 12, mark according to their works. And again, at the end of verse 13, according to their works. So we're supposed to work to keep ourselves out of hell. No, no, no. A thousand times, no. Do you understand? Remember, only two resurrections and only two groups of people. There are those, watch this please, who will be judged according to their works and there are those who will have been already judged by Christ's work. And I tell you that on that day when I stand before God, I'm not standing there for my soul's eternal destiny because I could never be good enough to get my way to glory, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad to report to your line on the authority of the word of God. I'm not going to heaven because of my works. I'm going to heaven because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. May I say to you, if you reject his work, then your own works will testify against you. On that day, it won't be someone else condemning you. Your own life will condemn you because every one of us are fallen sinners and none of us deserve salvation on our own. On that day, there will be a judge that cannot be approached. Can you imagine being in the presence of the thrice holy God? And there will be a verdict that cannot be appealed. What will you say? What could you say? When God already knows. I'm thinking about a young man who lives not far from us. Takes care of cattle on our road just up from our farm. There's another farm, a bunch of cattle there. I was out of the country not long ago, and he sent me a message. Would you pray for me? I've been praying for him, praying for his soul. I've talked to him since. He's not saved yet. I'm thinking about that boy right now. Dear Lord, don't let him go to hell. Dear Jesus, save him. Where's the brokenness of God's people? Why? Why do we give so much of our attention to this little window, this parenthesis we live in at this moment and give so little thought to eternity. Dear Lord, open our eyes. It's one final thing in the chapter. Look at the end of the chapter. We move from the final deception to the final rebellion to the final retribution to the final destination. What's the final destination of these souls? We say hell, but actually look at verse 14 and verse 15. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is, would you mark it, the second death. Remember? Remember where we started? Back in verse number 6, the second death. Here it is like bookends on this section in verse 14, the second death. Look at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Look across the page at verse 8 of chapter 21 but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Mark it in your Bible, which is the second death. Three times he says it. The second death, the second death, the second death. Almost like he wants us to pay attention to it. Could I just remind you that when he wrote Revelation, he was writing to churches. Some say that's right, preacher. Oh, sinners out there, they really need this. No, people, we really need this. You know, pastor. People say they want revival. They don't want revival. They don't want revival. They want their comfortable American prosperity to extend to their children and grandchildren. They want everything to stay the same. I got news for you. When real revival comes, nothing stays the same. God turns it all upside down. You know what revival is? Revival is Holy Spirit awakening. And you know what happens? When we start seeing things like God sees them, thinking like God thinks about them, feeling like God feels towards them. Look, please, if we really want revival, we got to stop this light, flippant Christianity light and start instead looking at eternal things and getting an eternal perspective. We've got to see that there's a resurrection coming that is a resurrection to death. I was chewing on this earlier today. Why does it say lake of fire? You ever wonder that? The lake of fire. You know what a lake is? A lake is stagnant water. A lake is a place where there is really no no ebb and flow unless something is made to remove it. Do you know what the lake of fire is? It is a place of constant, no ebb and flow, constant pain and punishment for those who are separated from God forever because of their sin. And would you like to know what it's the contrast to? If you go to the end of the book, when we get to heaven, we'll see this tomorrow night, do you know what's flowing out of the throne of God? The river of life. It's fresh. It's perennially fresh. Everybody everybody in this world is either headed towards the river of life or the lake of fire. Everybody. How many of you are glad you're saved now? Would you raise your hand? Now, be honest. How many of you know you're going to heaven? I don't mean you think or you're a church member or you're trying. You know you're going to heaven. Raise it up big and high. All right, I got another question for you. Who are you taking with you? Who are you taking with you? Who's going to look at you and say, that woman prayed me to Christ. Who? Who's going to get to the judgment seat and say, that man, that man right over there, that man led me to Jesus? That family, they moved into our, into our subdivision, and they got a burden for us, and they wouldn't leave us alone until we got the gospel. They cared for our soul. I can see the woman right now, I just saw her I was preaching in a gospel crusade a few months ago, and the last night of the meeting, a little elderly woman came down the aisle after the meeting. She's maneuvering her way through the crowd. When she got to the front, I recognized her. It was the woman that led me to Jesus 41 years ago. I can see her right now. she's still alive. I can see her right now, her face. she's the one who gave me the gospel who gave, helped me to get a reservation in glory someday and make sure my name is written down in the land of God. She's the one who kept me from this awful second death. God used her. Now I'm wondering who on this planet would say, he's the one who did that for me. Years ago when I was in Knoxville, I got so burdened for a man, his name was Gene. He was lost. He was a carpet layer. He was a good man. Carpet layer. I went by his house one night. I was so burdened for him. And I gave him the gospel again. I read every scripture I knew. I said everything I knew to say. Gene, you want to be saved? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And I still remember leaving his house that night. And I was pulling out of the subdivision. I was by myself. And I was so broken, I had to pull off the side of the road. And I remember weeping and saying, dear God, please save that man. I'll tell you why I'm telling you that story. Because I'm standing here right now talking to you and thinking, how long has it been since I've had that kind of burden for somebody? You think there's more lost souls or fewer now? You think we're closer or further away from the second coming of Christ? It's having our burden? Would you bow your head with me, please? May I ask again, if I had any music? How many of you know you're saved? I mean, you really know you've been born again. Would you raise your hand? Would you raise both hands for just a moment? It won't hurt you. Hold them up high in the air. And with your hands lifted to God, would you just take a moment and thank Jesus for saving you? Just thank him. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, you couldn't say that.